Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by turning to 1 Peter chapter 4 and reading verses 7 through 11. The passage says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now I'd like to describe an event that we hear often about or read about, and that far too frequently, and make application. A teacher at one of the local elementary schools was going home from work. It was just an ordinary day. She had her five-year-old girl strapped in the car seat in the back, and she probably never knew what hit her. A car on a side street, traveling way too fast, ran a stop sign and hit her broadside. She was killed instantly, and the little girl was taken to the hospital in critical condition. The car that ran the stop sign was driven by an 18-year-old. There were four young people in the car. Police found an abundance of alcohol. Feelings flood most of us when we read such accounts. Sadness, indignation, confusion, helplessness, anger, and so many more. Someone ought to pay. We are sure of that. We want the justice system to see to it that those who caused the senseless death of this innocent woman who left a little girl motherless and a young man now a single parent widower, they need to receive proper punishment. They deserve to be locked up for a long time. A few hours after the accident happened, another scene was played out somewhere else in town. This scene did not make the newspaper. A mother and father heard a knock on the door. It was the police. They learned that their son or daughter had run a stop sign. The consequences were tragic. Alcohol was involved. A young mother had died. Now this accident looks different depending on the perspective. Imagine how these three people considered the event. First, a husband waiting for his wife and little girl to come home. Secondly, parents who had given the car keys to an 18-year-old. And thirdly, us, curious strangers reading or hearing about it, shaking our heads in disbelief. The same incident looks different depending upon 
how one is involved. I believe the message of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11 through 11, is about perspective. He was writing to brothers and sisters in Christ, helping them to understand how they should view things, perhaps the color of the lenses through which they needed to view things. Peter's readers had endured a great deal of hardship. The letter contains clear indication of that. In chapter 1, verses 6-7, through seven, we read, In this you greatly rejoiced, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And look at chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should so will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Peter's readers didn't run with their old crowd anymore, doing what everybody else was doing. And their friends apparently did not understand and didn't like it. Consider chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, realizing that some of us know exactly what Peter was writing about. The passage says, For the time already past is sufficient for you, to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. In the verses with which we began, Peter urged his readers and us to put all pain and rejection in perspective. The cares and concerns of the world look different to Christians than they do to others. Those who love the world belong to it. Christians are just passing through. We know what the rest of mankind does not know, either by choice or otherwise. Our perspective is different because, as we saw in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. That message is quick, almost to the point of abruptness. Peter did not write, sometime or another, we don't know when, the Lord will return. It isn't too urgent. Let's put it out of our minds and go about our business. There is a great difference, my friends, between the belief that the Lord will return soon and a casual acceptance that he will return. The apostle and his readers lived in anticipation. The return of the Lord was no casual matter with them to be shoved into the corner. From all of our Bible study, we should know that the idea that the return of the Lord was near was common among the writers. In James 5, 8, we find, You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. In Matthew chapter 25, and verse 13, Jesus said, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. When Christians believe that the return of the Lord can happen at any time, or is in the immediate future, it changes their lives. We will live differently, and that is what Peter was saying. There is a difference between believing that the Lord will return and believing that it can happen at any time. Since the end of all things is, for all intents and purposes, practically imminent, Peter wrote, Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayers. 
Not everyone believes that the Lord will return. Some believe that this is all that there is. More specifically, a materialist believes that matter and motion is pretty much it. If they follow through consistently with what they believe, they're going to end up with essentially two possible ways of viewing their own existence. One is that they can be morbid and view life as some sort of cosmic joke with no meaning beyond the small things a person carves out for themselves in the infinitesimally small amount of time we have. Or two, they can be cynical and their philosophy becomes eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The success of life with this approach is measured by how much fun we can have. It's like the bumper sticker that states, he who dies with the most toys wins. But for Peter, life is serious without being morbid. It is joyous without being frivolous. Since the Lord is coming to judge the world, he wrote, be of sound judgment. Be careful what we do and say. The choices we make and the things that we do matter. Life itself matters. Therefore, Christians should keep the line of communication with God open through consistent prayer. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, Pray without ceasing. Our perspective on the return of the Lord teaches us to pray. Life is serious. The end of all things is near. The Lord reigns in heaven and is returning. Therefore, pray. Because Christians are strangers just passing through this world with the knowledge that the Lord will return, and that at any time, our perspective gives us the grace to accept one another in love. Looking at verse 8, we find, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter wasn't saying to sweep problems under the rug. He was not writing that we should overlook a brother who is having an affair or one who is a liar or a thief. Christians are accountable to God and to one another. Peter's words are no invitation to sin. There is no suggestion found here that Christians should excuse thoughtless words and behavior lightly. No one has the right to expect others to cover over his sins. What Peter was saying is that when people love each other, their perspective on sin differs from those with selfish concerns. My friends, those in Christ do not badger one another, but unite to lift the sinner out of the shame. Those in Christ do not turn against him. We are on his side. The perspective is different on this side of faith. Most of us can understand Peter's admonition on a personal level. I'm not ashamed to say that if my wife Vicki gets into a dispute with someone else, I'm going to want to see her side. That does not mean that I am infinitely flexible or gullible. Sometimes I might have to say, this is your fault, but I'm going to have to be convinced, and it will probably take more evidence to convince me that Vicky was in the wrong than it would to convince me that some stranger was. So when Peter wrote that love covers a multitude of sins, he was talking about the dispositions Christians have toward one another. We are anxious to put the right motives on what we see a brother or sister do. We look kindly on words a brother or sister speaks when the same words spoken by somebody else might offend us. We're talking about perspective. Once someone has obeyed the gospel and we are now part of the same spiritual family, I look at him differently. I will be slow to judge his motives. 
I will be quick to see and commend him for his virtues. I will be quick to open my wallet and help him with his needs. This part of our perspective is one reason why it is so important that we spend time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We truly need to know each other personally. I think sometimes problems can develop because all of the members do not know each other quite as well as we should. Again, the perspective of a Christian is different. And it's different because we learn to respect each other for all the differences that we have. We are not all the same. Look again at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and the first part of verse 11. He wrote, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies. In effect, Peter was saying, Whatever ability God has given you, do your best with it, and rejoice that your brothers and sisters have different personalities, different interests, and different abilities. All of us have different dispositions. Some are a bit quicker with the tongue than others. That can be a blessing or a curse. Some are quiet by temperament. Others are talkative. Some are given to making rash decisions. Others are steady and reliable. When Christians have the perspective that comes from knowing our Lord, we evaluate our fellow believers with a healthy dose of love. Knowing that a person is good, having seen the fruit of the Spirit in his or her life, we deal charitably with one another. That's not the same as condoning sin. It is loving in spite of flaws. We are Christians, and God wants us to be thankful for the differences we find in each other and rejoice in those whose talents and abilities are different from ours. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul wrote, For even as the body is one and has yet many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Here's what I'm going to call the bottom line from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. We should always remember that God's glory is more important than our own. We can stand to have our feelings hurt. We'll get over it. We can give ourselves a little lecture from time to time when we need it. We can remind ourselves that the person who said something we did not like is a good man or a good woman. Goodness is in their lives. We do not have to paint someone mean because we do not like something that they said. No, those who are Christians act so that all things in God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and of sober spirit. Thanks for listening today.